Hello everyone, Pastor John Nays, pastor of Bridgepoint Church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I'm bringing a new series to you. This is our second week in this series where I'll be looking at the book of Revelation in just the first three chapters. And honestly, there's so much in here that it's going to take us a while to get through it. In fact, I'm, I'm having a hard time sifting out what really needs to be said and, and everything else that's in there. Um, it all needs to be said. That's not the question. It's how much I can really share in a video time. So I'm going to be breaking some things down for you today. And, and uh, I want to actually go back a step uh, to last week and talk about verses 6 and 7. Uh, 6, 7, and 8 again. So let's take a look at those. But before I do that, just for my church um, and anyone else who cares, but just for my church, we're having a baptism service on August 30th, Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock at uh, the Cumbers Pond. And um, we'll be doing an outdoor baptism. This is a believer's baptism. Some people call it that. Uh, baptism by immersion. Have you been baptized since you became a believer in Jesus Christ? In other words, not just um, infant baptism in those times when, uh, when you were a child, but have you decided to follow Christ and follow him in water baptism? It's a great and important step in anyone's life. So all of you out there, if you've not been baptized in water by immersion, um, come to the service. Let me know. You can go on our webpage and, and uh, find out more details there and also register to come to not just the baptism but a picnic to follow. So just an announcement. Um, go to our webpage, bridgepointgb.com. Bridgepointgb, that's GB stands for Green Bay, bridgepointgb.com and um, look for the information there. So let's delve into Revelation chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1 and uh, we'll be here for this week and next week as well. Because there's so much in here, I really want to uh, try and do as good a job as I can to cover it. Let's start with um, verse number 7 and it says this, Look, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Now this is a, a view into the second coming. It's not the rapture of the church. It's, it's after that in the second coming when Christ comes to establish his kingdom on this earth. And this is a, an emphatic statement. It's not a passive thing at all. In fact, in the original language, it's, it's I am coming. Uh, I'm not thinking about it. This isn't something that might happen. This isn't something we can debate. I am coming. So be ready, church. Be ready. Be ready for the second coming of Christ because he is coming. And we need to be ready for that. And beyond that, we need to tell others that Jesus is coming. Now, verse 8, it says this, I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, and who is to come, the Almighty. I want to emphasize this because there's a lot of people out there who have this kind of passive idea of who Jesus is and who Jesus was. That he walked on this earth, he was a good man, he had good teaching, he was a great philosopher, he was, you know, kind of like, um, kind of like Buddha. He had good things to say, but that was it. This makes this very clear of who Jesus is. He's not just the Son of God, he's God himself. He is the Almighty, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the Amen. He is. The Amen is that emphatic statement that says, so be it, this is established, this is done. 
This is who I am. There's no debate about this. There's no reason for you to question this. I am, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who was and is and who is to come, the Almighty God himself. Amen to that. Now let's look at verses um, 9 through 11 and uh, just take a picture, take a look at those real quick. And I'm not going to get into the um, verses 12 on down. I really want to save that for all one statement or all one video. It's such an amazing picture of Christ that I kind of want to uh, wet, wet your appetite a little bit. It really is this amazing picture of who Jesus is and not the Jesus that we so often hear about and see about, and even in um, some of the paintings and so on uh, of Christ. He, he always has this kind of quiet, passive, gentle look to him. Um, and and it's, this is just a totally different picture of who Jesus is and an amazing view of the Christ that we serve. Not the Christ who was back then, 2,000 years ago, but the Christ who is now, the reigning king of glory, the great I am. And I want to take some time to talk about that next week. So if you're following this series, get ready for next week because I really love the picture of Christ that we see in Revelation chapter 1. So let's get back to verses uh, 9 through 11. It says this, I, John, your brother and companion in suffering of the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Let's stop there. Now, John is on the island of Patmos. He's in exile. He's there because he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, and the rulers of that time didn't want anything to do with that. In fact, they saw Christianity as a threat to their own power and to their own authority. So when John's out there preaching Jesus is the way, he's the Christ, he's the son of the living God, he's, he's the one who died for our sins, he's the resurrected Christ, he's overcome death, hell, and the grave. All of the rulers of that day are going, wait just a minute, if this is true, then my power and my authority is threatened by this person, this Jesus. And so they persecuted the, the Christians of that time and martyred the disciples. John was not martyred. He was sent in exile to this island of Patmos, a small island that's rocky and, and had mining um, that went on on the island. And John was there in exile and actually working in the mines as part of his punishment for doing what God called him to do. And this, this idea that John was just this you know, nice, quiet little guy, he was, he was an amazing man. He was an amazing man, an amazing a disciple, an amazing teacher of who Jesus is and was, and the one who is to come, as in the book of Revelation. Now John says, I am a brother, I am a companion, I'm suffering for the kingdom, and I'm patiently enduring um, with others who are suffering for Christ. So he doesn't put himself in some exalted position. He says, we're all suffering for Christ. This is the, the norm of the uh, first century church, that they were all suffering for Christ. And, um, and he says, on the Lord's day, verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now this is our first view into, uh, into the voice of God, into the voice of Christ, into this prophetic uh, view of who Jesus is. But it's also this uh, amazing view into uh, John's position. Now, I want to deal with the idea of the Lord's Day. A lot of interpreted that as being uh, that this was the Sabbath, and that's 
really not what I see here. I think what we see here is that I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was, I was, um, I was in a position to see uh, who the Lord is and who the Lord was and who the Lord is going to be. It's the Lord's day. The idea that the revelation was all one shot and that John saw it all in one 24-hour period and had time to write it all down, it's just not, it's just not feasible. This revelation was probably one revelation, true, but it was over a span of time, and John had time to write everything that he saw and put it down on paper. So it took time to do that. And so John was, isn't talking about this is a 24-hour period. He's talking about, really, this is where I was. This is the Lord's day. This day that is coming is the Lord's day. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ that makes it the Lord's day. And so John's talking about his position in his in his place not a time period um he's talking about the lord's position in the lord's place not a time period so let's move on verse 11 the loud voice of the uh, the trumpet of the lord and it said write on this scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to ephesus smyrna pergamum thyatira thyatira sardis and philadelphia and laodicea now, these are the seven churches of Asian Minor. We've talked a little bit about that already. They are the seven churches. I mean, that's, that's who they are. Now, there was no uh, overruling uh, cast of um, leadership in the church other than the disciples, but most of them are gone. And John's the only one left. And so John is saying, here, um, these are to the seven churches. So here's a letter to each of the seven churches. And the, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we, we'll get into the specifics of what he said to each church. But it's important to realize that part of what the churches are going through is their own persecution. And John makes mention of that, that we are patiently enduring. But also that all of the churches had something that they needed to deal with. In other words, in a short period of time of less than 100 years, the churches were already struggling not only with... Um, what to believe, but why they believe it. And dealing with um, persecution and dealing with other things that are, that are trying to infiltrate the church and change the message and the positioning of the church. And so when we get into chapters 2 and chapters 3, we'll be looking at those, um, those things that the churches needed to straighten out. And the Lord was pretty emphatic about uh, a lot of the things that he said to the early church. Now, this is the day of the Lord, and John is, be, is beginning to see this vision or beginning to understand and explain this vision to anyone who would listen, but he's writing in particularly to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Each, each member or each church got this letter from John, seven of them. So it was, it was sent to all of the seven churches of Asia Minor, one, so that they could uh, begin to um, deal with the issues in their church, but two, so they could have this revelation of Christ and future events that were going to happen uh, to the church, in the church, and in the rest of the world. So John takes this this prophetic word and he writes it to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and and I think those seven churches still are represented in our world today. That there's a lot of Christian churches out there that are struggling with what they believe and have allowed all kinds of other influences to determine how they should operate or how they should live or even what they should preach. 
And John is writing this letter to them saying, here, you've got to stay on track, guys. Here's what's wrong with what's, what's going on in your church. And so he says, I write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, the church of Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamum, the church in Thyatira, Cyrus, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, seven churches. So we get this, this amazing picture of what John wants to say to the churches. And then just before he writes what he needs to say to the seven churches, he has this amazing vision of Jesus that, again, is, is revolutionary to our thinking. If we can take into our hearts and into our minds who this Jesus actually is, this Jesus that we serve now as the church, and we live in the church age. We live in a day when it's not about, um, you know, the old pro the Old Testament prophets. Although they play into our, uh, they play a direct role into what we believe and why we believe it, because all of these things are strung together. And this is a, a history, as much as anything, about uh, who God is, who the who the followers of God are, and and who Christ is, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ, both the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ, are all outlined in all of these books throughout the Old and New Testament. All of them point to who Jesus is. All of them point to the revelation of who Jesus is. That revelation is, is this Christ who is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And God's saying to us again today, you need to pay attention to, one, what's going on in your churches, Two, who this Jesus is. He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He is God. He is the Almighty. He's the Amen. He's the final word. It's finished because of him. It's done because of him. We live in this amazing period of the church. And the church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful force on earth when we allow the power of God, the power of his presence, the power of his spirit to live in us and through us. When we take seriously the things that Christ has said to us, how he has revealed himself to us, this revelation of who Christ is. So next week when we get into this revelation of who Christ is, when we see this Jesus as the, the God of the church, the head of the church, the, the, the ruler of the church, the author of the church, the one who set the church in motion and the one who set the church up and set the church in place. Not just for our time, but for past times and for future times as well. The church plays a role in all of these things. And who Christ is, is the most important thing we can understand. He's the most important person we can know. He's the head of the church. So when I speak of the church, even when we get into Revelation uh, verses or chapters 2 and 3. We'll look at who this Christ is, the head of the church. And that Christ is still speaking to us out of the book of Revelation. This is a revelation of who Christ is, and we need to take a deep look at it and understand what Christ is still saying to the churches, not just the seven churches of Asia Minor, but all of us. We serve a risen Christ. We serve a great God. We serve the King of glory. He's the Amen. I'll see you next week as we get into the vision of Christ in chapter, chapter 1 of Revelation. God bless you. See you next time.